We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. This is the High Stakes Lowdown, a Rotoviz podcast brought to you by the Fantasy Football Players Championship. I'm Eric Balkman from the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour and the FFPC. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Balkman and the FFPC on Twitter at FFPC. Today I'm speaking with Joe and Jason Reether, a pair that has won more than $300,000 in their high stakes careers thanks to their 2013 FFPC main event title, the 2015 runner-up finish in the world-famous FFPC Playoff Challenge. In this episode, we talk about how they were fortunate enough to even enter the 2013 FFPC main event, how they ended up with a trio of Patriots on their roster for this year's main event entry, and whether Eric Ebron will be bouncing back anytime soon. Also to kick things off in this podcast, we'll hear from 2016 FFPC main event co-champion David Hubbard, the winner of the $250,000 grand prize in the contest along with his co-manager Nelson Sousa. Hubbard talks about what tight end he likes and wishes he had more of this year and what he is doing with Packers running backs in week five. Before we get into the show, I want to remind everyone that you can get a listeners-only 30% discount to a Rotoviz NFL pass through the NFL podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of the Rotoviz content and tools, and it helps support the podcast channel. Now, without further ado, let's check in with the champ, David Hubbard. David, uh, one of the big stories, or maybe the big story from uh, week four is Dalvin Cook out for the season with a torn ACL. He's well on his way to a great 
uh, rookie year. Latavius Murray looks like he's going to be the guy uh, to step in, at least to get the majority of touches there in Minnesota. How aggressive do you see yourself being trying to get him uh, in your leagues? Uh, I'm sure we'll try to pick him up in a few leagues. Uh, you have Jared McKinnon there, so they're going to be uh, it's going to be like a timeshare. But uh, Lat Murray will definitely have some value going forward. I've always liked Lat Murray. Last year, everybody was down on him. Actually, had a decent year, but he played hurt the whole year. Yeah. So, I think Lat Murray has definitely has value now with uh, Cook uh, going to the IR. One of those interesting things, because normally in fantasy, we like to, when he, when these guys are in the timeshare, we like to get the pass catcher on the team, uh, you know, for, for high-stakes PPR leagues. And I think that more people are actually going to be going after Murray just because I think that the touch, you know, how many touches that Murray is supposed to get or probably will get over McKinnon kind of negates McKinnon's pass-catching ability. Sure, I agree. With, I would agree with that. Uh, but McKinnon is an explosive dude. Now, McKinnon got banged up last week a little bit, so I don't know how serious his his ankle issue is, and Lapp's still supposedly recovering from a ankle issue. But uh, one, of, one of those guys will definitely have some value going forward. Yeah, Minnesota offensive line definitely playing uh, much better than they did in 2016. Uh, an offensive line that uh, did not play very well last year, off to a slow start this year, but was injected with some life with this uh, six-round rookie, Chris Carson, running behind it, uh, is the Seattle offensive line, and now they're going to be without Carson, who was placed on injured reserve this week after having a lower leg injury. Sounds like a knee and an ankle from, from what I'm reading. Uh, you look at uh, the, the replacements behind them. Uh, Thomas Rawls, Eddie Lacy, J.R. McKissick, uh, the guy who uh, actually had a pretty big night uh, after Carson left that game. Uh, are those guys going to find their way uh, on any of your rosters this week, given that C.J. Procise is probably coming back here in the Seattle's next game as well? I'm not sure what to make it. I was a big Carson guy. I actually had Carson a lot. And uh, now I'm in the process of tonight doing waivers and getting rid of Carson. But uh, now it's a complete uh, mess. I'm not sure what they're going to do. They have Rawls who will be involved. Lacey will be involved. I think it will be more uh, all of them being involved. And then the McKissick guy is kind of like a hybrid player, and he'll get X number of touches each week and see if he can uh, make plays. But if he doesn't make plays with those touches, then his value is going to be uh, uh, limited. So I don't know if McKissick – I might roster McKissick a few times in some isolated spots depending on team need. But uh, I really don't know what to make of who's going to get the volume now because Carson was the clear-cut guy. Um, I think they love Carson. And uh, now they got to figure out Lacey, Rawls, and Prosite. So – they got a mess. It might just be spread offense with Russell Wilson throwing it all over the yard. I kind of like that. So maybe that's what they're going to go to. Their offensive line is, is, is total shambles, so I don't see them trying to pound the ball. I think they're going to spread it out and, and quick pass with uh, Russell Wilson the rest of the way. Certainly been a very successful way to move the football for Seattle with Jimmy Graham, Paul Richardson, Tyler Lockett, Doug Baldwin, all uh, – being pretty successful, making some plays thus far. Uh, let's stick with the backfield here. Joe Mixon, a guy that uh, really came on in that Green Bay game in week three after the offensive coordinator change was made with Sam Peasy out and Laser coming in. Uh, so you're expecting big things from Mixon in week four. Got a lot of touches, didn't really do much with them on a day when really the entire Bengals offense was humming along, led by Andy Dalton uh, against the poor Cleveland D. Mixon still seemed to be lost back there in, in the fantasy f shuffle, not putting up numbers. Are you concerned uh, with him for 2017 and what you expect his output to be? I'm really not concerned with Mixon. I'm concerned with the Cincinnati uh, coaches. If you watch, if you actually watch the game, the way they use him is, is, is doesn't make sense. Uh, he never gets in a rhythm. Uh, if you replace, like, Kareem Hunt, put Joe Mixon in, in Kansas City, 
it'd be the same thing because Andy Reid knows how to use a running back. They never let the kid get in a rhythm. They gave him 21 touches, but they were like two here, one here. And when you're a running back and you're doing and you're and you're getting touches that way, uh, you you never get into a rhythm. I think Mixon's the kind of guy that needs to get into a rhythm. And eventually, I think you'll see. Uh, it might not be this year because Cincinnati's another team with an offensive line that's not not great. I mean, cool. There's there's not a lot of holes to run through. Uh, the big play they had out of the running back was Gio Bernard, who caught a pass and nobody covered him, and he and he took it to the house. But if they if they ever learn how to get mixing into rhythm, I think you'll see a, a better mixing. But it's up to the Cincinnati coaches to figure that out, and I don't have a lot of faith in that. So yeah, it's might, be a, might, might be a couple years away on mixing. It's interesting because Mixon is a guy that that really you know kept creeping up draft boards, creeping up, creeping up, creeping up. He might be the type of guy in 2018 drafts where we look at um, you know sort of, sort of like the, having him the post hype status. You know where Cincinnati brings in a couple of offensive linemen, all of a sudden they're looking better there, and everybody's gonna have that bad taste in their mouth from 2017. And uh, maybe they let Mixon slip, and, and he could be a, a good value next year. That's uh, That all remains to be seen. Uh, we'll be excited to see what Mixon can do for the rest of the year this year. Last question, Dave, before we uh, let you get out of here. Charles Clay crushed it again this past week, doing really, really well, especially in uh, tight end premium leagues like the FFPC. Went over 100 yards receiving. Now we know Jordan Matthews is going to miss a month of time. Do you see Charles Clay slowing down anytime soon as, as being that de facto number one target for Tyrod Taylor? Is he a top 10 tight end the rest of the way? With, uh, full disclosure, I don't own a lot of Charles Clay, but I've always liked Charles Clay's talent. Uh, I, I think he fits that offense, and uh, he's probably going to get uh, targets. So, yeah, I, I see Carl, Charles Clay as having the value. I got a funny story. I own Charles Clay as my only tight end in the 20K league one year. And he literally did nothing, and, and it kind of it soured me on him. But uh, I always knew the guy had talent if, if he was in the right situation, and now he's in the perfect situation. Uh, he's, he's Tyrod's only go-to guy. And, uh, yeah, I think he'll continue to, to put up numbers the rest of the year. Yeah, sometimes the uh, the boring option is 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 sometimes the best option. So a Charles Clay owner certainly uh, happy with that. We're certainly happy we got to uh, talk to you, pick your brain again this uh, week, David. I will uh, be in touch with you. Good luck with waivers this week. Good luck uh, with week five, man. Thank you, Bucky. Talk to you later. Thanks to David Hubbard for his input this week. Now here are the 2013 FFPC main event champions, Joe and Jason Reether. So Joe, I'm gonna I'm gonna lead things off with you here, and and then Jason, you can pipe in when when he's done. But Joe, when you are not uh, playing high stakes fantasy football, tell the listeners what you do for a living. I actually work in the uh, financial planning and analysis group at a utility company here in Pennsylvania. And I am a, I'm a structural engineer. I deal mostly with uh, new building structural design and um, existing building renovations. Um, all stuff that would make the listeners fall asleep if I keep talking. <laughs> well, listen, uh, it's it's definitely more exciting than uh, than you know just uh, hanging out and, and listening to a podcast, which is hopefully what everybody's doing right now. But you guys are gonna light the listeners' ears on fire here now when we we um, get into this next question because I think this is one of the most uh, more tremendous stories uh, that that I've heard in especially in the high stakes fantasy football industry. Joe, I, I want to talk about your teams this year and, and how they're doing, but Tell the story, uh, if we can go back four years, of not only how you guys won the 2013 uh, FFPC main event, but the steps that, that you guys took there to even get a seat in that contest. Yeah, sure. So we actually won our 2013 main event team the prior year in 2012. 
we won a $55 entry DFS contest on the uh, now defunct site Draft Street. And then we were able to parlay that into the main event win the following year. And it's just, you know, $55 or whatever, you win the main event team. And then not only do you get that, you get to draft that team, you guys manage it all the way to $250,000. Just insane, I mean, how that happened. Did, when you guys won that main event uh, team, Joe, did, I mean, was there any ever any, like, you know, casual conversation of like, hey, wouldn't it be insane if we actually won the two hundred fifty grand uh, with this team right here? Did, when, when did you guys... You know, when it when did, did were there any jokes made about that, and when did it sort of sink in? Like, wow, we might actually win this thing. We actually got pretty lucky because our team was injured most of the regular season, and we snuck in the playoffs because we had best record. And then our team got healthy, and it just went on a tear. So I'd say it was probably the second week into the final three weeks we figured out we had a chance because we actually started like way at the bottom, but just shot right to the top. And correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was the closest finish in FFPC main event history. Is that right? It, I mean, it, it. I don't. Unless I don't have all these facts and figures in front of me, but um, I don't remember a, a a closer one to be honest with you. Because I remember there was a lot of um, sweating out stat changes with you guys um, uh, over the next forty eight hours after that Monday uh, game went final. I know for our football guys players championship a couple of years ago. Blake Pyle had to had to sweat out a, a, a stat change and he won by less than a point. I remember that one, but I remember you guys. It was it was pretty pretty contested. What do you, Joe? What do you remember about that the the end of that Week 16 game when you were watching it? Yeah, so we went into the Monday night game up like 26 points against a team that had Colin Kaepernick, and now you'd think, well, that's a done deal. But back then, Colin Kaepernick was playing really well. <laughs> um, so the first half went really well. I think we were. He only scored like five points in the first half, so we, we felt like we had a really good chance, almost had it in the bag. And then the third quarter was bad, and then the fourth quarter started out even worse when he ran a touchdown and ran in for a touchdown. So there was like 12 minutes left in the game. We're up by 1.1 points. We figure we're going to lose. And then by some miracle, Kaepernick never scored another point. And the crazy part was that Atlanta actually recovered an onside kick with about two minutes left in the game, got down to the 10-yard line. They're either going to kick a field goal or score a touchdown in either scenario, 49ers get the ball back and Kaepernick's going to score a point and we're going to lose. And then Matt Ryan actually threw a pick six to Navarro Bowman that actually sealed it for us. And then the 49ers never got the ball back and we won. I mean, it was pure, pure craziness. Pure craziness indeed. That's uh, such a great story. And, and uh, I'm sure that's something, you know, we're four years later and, <clears throat> and you guys, <clears throat> excuse me, you guys can still remember you know, the plays uh, that, that helped you win it all. It's just crazy that it came from a $55 entry uh, contest to, to get you in there. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the main event this year. Now, you guys slipped a little bit in the standings, but some of that can actually be attributed to Ty Montgomery leaving the Thursday night game against the Bears a little bit early with those broken ribs. Uh, he's been very, very integral in your early season success, Jason. And I'm curious as to why you guys took him at the 308 when, uh, you know, other guys out there like Lamar Miller, Carlos Hyde, guys that in some drafts are going ahead of Montgomery. Why did you make the decision for Ty Montgomery there? Yeah, I mean, Montgomery has been huge for us early on. Um, it's unfortunate he went down with an injury this past week, which definitely hurt our team. But, I mean, we were we were really high on Hyde, too, going into the year. So in, in the third round, we were kind of narrowing down at it would probably the running backs would be the, the best value for us there. So we were kind of targeting, you know, Hyde or Montgomery 
we also wanted we're looking at Dalvin Cook if you know he was fortunate enough to fall to us, but at that time he really wasn't making it to the end of the third. So we we went in thinking that probably Montgomery or Hyde was gonna gonna be the guys that we were looking at, and what gave Montgomery the slight edge for us was what we felt was probably a little higher ceiling since he played in a better better offense of the two, and going into the going into this year in last year in the career games when he had played at least 50% of the snaps. He was averaging almost 18 points a game. So that upside was something we really liked um, as a running back too. And funny, you mentioned Lamar Miller. He, he was actually one of the few guys that we basically put on our do not draft list. And most of that was really just because we drafted him in the first round last year and we were still bitter that he didn't meet our lofty expectations. So we kind of just crossed him off the list. Yeah, Ty Montgomery is one of those guys, too, that, that that always gets high – well, I mean, not even just high-stakes players, but any fantasy players in general excited because you have a guy that wasn't even playing the position uh, for a full season, and then he comes in, does very, very well, and then, you know, he gets the full offseason to prepare. You can tell he's got the size to be a good NFL running back, playing an elite offense behind a great quarterback. Uh, sky's the limit, and certainly um, they were giving him every chance – uh, to uh, to really be successful this season as well. I always like it when I can look at my my guy's stat line, you know, running back, and he has eight. He only has 15 uh, receiving yards, but he gets eight catches, which is what Montgomery <laughs> did a couple of weeks ago. That's always great uh, to see. Yeah, that. he he's like the definition of you know people that do or don't like PPR. He's like the guy that's <laughs> that decides it. You know, he's the rubric. Hey, you know, it's yeah. like this. Oh, new to fantasy. Here's the how to decide if you want to play PPR or not. Uh, let's exactly. talk. Let's talk, uh, Jason, about the the New England Patriots that you have on this team, uh, because there's three of them that you drafted: uh, Brandon Cooks, Chris Hogan, uh, Rex Burkhead. Were you guys, you know, targeting Patriots? Uh, and I'm curious because, given how badly the New England Patriots defense has played thus far, if you could have saw that coming, and you could have saw that their their defense was was not up to the standard that a lot of people thought it would be at. You could have probably projected a lot of shootouts with Tom Brady, with all these, you know, you know Gronkowski, Cooks, and and James White, and all these guys. You could have probably seen some good shootouts coming. Was that? Did that go into the into the targeting the Patriots? Did that go into any of these New England selections here? Yeah, I mean, of course we knew the defense was going to be terrible. I mean, didn't everybody? <laughs> no, I mean, we um. We didn't. That wasn't like a something we actively pursued going into the draft, saying, "Oh, we want to, you know, nail down three guys from the Patriots." Oh, we knew it was a possibility given what our draft strategy was and the, and the targets that we had. But I mean, Hogan was probably the only one of the three that we went into the draft saying, "You know, this is a guy that we really want to get. We want to try to uh, get him." You know, we targeted him then in the seventh round. Um, but we, I mean, we did. So we didn't really know the defense was going to be this terrible. But we did feel their offense was built more to pass this year than than last year. So if there was going to be a team that we were going to have multiple guys from, you know, the Patriots would be right at the top of that list. And we we also the the price tag on uh, on Hogan and Burkhead, it, it wasn't high enough where if they flamed out, it would necessarily bury us. Um, the biggest downfall was that our draft was prior to the uh, opening game. So, I mean, the, all those guys, Cooks, uh, Hogan, and Burkhead, they all dropped, you know, by like a round or two since they didn't do too good in the first game. So we, we did kind of have to spend higher than we would have if we uh, 
targeted those guys, you know, after the first game. And the biggest thing I think is is just getting that production on your squad, even if you got to pay a little bit more for. It. I mean, obviously Cooks had that big breakout a couple of weeks ago. Chris Hogan, it seems like catches about 14 touchdowns every single week, and obviously we've seen what Rex Burkhead can do when he's healthy too. So I mean, that's that's the type of type. That's the type of, of offense that can really set you up for success down the road. Um, Joe, let's let's get back to you. I want to talk about the waiver wire. Um, prior to the week four games, uh, you actually had you guys had a pretty productive uh, waiver wire run, run getting um, Will Fuller, getting Elijah McGuire, and Tyler Lockett all having solid games. Obviously, Fuller and McGuire really stood out with their performances. When you look at those three guys going forward for the rest of the season, which one are you the most pumped about uh, having a, a big rest of the rest of the season? Well, the one knock we heard on McGuire was that he, he lacked a lot of burst, but on that long TD run, he looked pretty good. Nobody ran him from behind, so we were pleased to see that. But I'd say the guy we're probably most excited about is Fuller. You know, last year he opened the season with those two big games, and then unfortunately he got Osweiler from uh, that point forward. <laughs> but, uh, you know, now he's got a better quarterback throwing to him. He gets the benefit of playing opposite Hopkins. He's got a lot of speed. He's a real deep threat. And uh, actually last night I was reading on Rotoviz that uh, he had very similar air yards to Hopkins in the Tennessee game. So that's pretty promising for you know his rest of the season outlook, I think. Yeah, and, and you have uh, the Houston Texans uh, tallying up uh, 57 points against a potential playoff team. So certainly Deshaun Watson has that offense going uh, in the right direction. And, and I don't know. I mean, you know, the thing is with Fuller, everybody – and not everybody, but a lot of people say, well, you know, all he is is a deep threat and what have you. Well, neither one of those touchdowns are really, you know, 70 yarders. So I, you look at what he means uh, to that offense and, and how Watson uses them. That is a guy that I would definitely keep my eye on the rest of the way and for sure uh, try to uh, to roster him when I could. Uh, a guy that I'm uh, waffling on whether he's worth the roster spot at this point uh, is Eric Ebron. Joe, is, 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 is it in the cards for Ebron to redeem himself? Uh, after another disappointing start to uh, to this season. And as a follow-up to that, is he a guy that you guys really need to keep on your bench right now until he shows you something? Yeah, they asked me about Ebron, huh? <laughs> yeah, he, he's a guy that's been frustrating me and my fantasy team since his rookie year. Like, he, he you know, he looks the part. And you think, like, this guy can really put it all together, and it just is yet to happen. I mean, last year the catches were there, and he had, you know, I think one touchdown. So Bolden leaves, and you figure, okay, this is going to be the year. There should be positive touchdown regression. And while he did score against the Giants, he now has, like, no catches or receiving yards instead. So I think at this point, you know, I don't know if it's the pace of the play for the Lions because they, they play pretty slow. That it, it takes away some opportunities from him. But he's probably only a matchup play, I guess, at this point, probably on your bench most of the weeks. You know, maybe if they're playing the Browns, you throw him in. But, uh, yeah, definitely he's been frustrating. This, this is when real football gets in the way of my fantasy football. I hate it when these teams with, with really good playmakers on offenses uh, get get better players on defense. And they, and they once they become a better NFL team, usually the offensive guys take a step back from a, a fantasy standpoint. And I think that's what's happening in Detroit. You know, outside of, well, even you can make the case this week that the defense played all right. But the defense has been pretty good for Detroit. And as a result... You're seeing Detroit win more games, but really not having a lot of fantasy players win games uh, for their owners. You know, Golden Tate has been 
okay. Kenny Galladay obviously had the one good game, and then he's been hurt since then. Marvin Jones not making many plays. Eric Ebron. I think Amir Abdullah, you could make a case that, that he's been pretty solid, but you know he's not. it's not like he's blowing up, and that's the frustrating thing about Detroit. Having the audacity to want to be a better football team kind of hurts you in fantasy a little bit. Uh, Jason, let's get back to you. I want to talk about rookie running back here. Uh, Leonard Fournette continues to get it done even though he's really the only guy that if you're an offensive or a defensive coordinator, he's really the only guy that you're scheming against that you're trying to stop on that Jacksonville offense. So given that he's also catching a good number of passes each week, which, you know, we weren't sure what we were going to see when he got to the pros at that, what are his chances this year of not only finishing in the top five among running backs in 2017, but potentially being drafted in the top half of the first round next season? Um, I mean, top five might be a bit of a stretch. That's probably his, his ceiling. But, I mean, certainly top ten seems like a lock as long as he can avoid injury this year. It's, it's funny you mention him just because he's probably the, one of the players I was most off on going into the year. I like this talent, but kind of, as you mentioned, I, I questioned his involvement in the passing game. And I wasn't really sure if the Jaguars would be able to stay in, in favorable game scripts to, you know, to run him into the ground like Marone said he wanted to do. But I, I guess I underestimated the Jaguars' defense in the end because they're, they're playing really well and they're keeping them in the game and allowing them to run. Um, so he he seems like I would say for next year he's probably going to be in the mix for a late round late first round pick. Um, and just with some of the other rookies, I mean this rookie running back class has been uh, something else this year. Yeah, it has been fantastic. I you know the Fournette situation kind of reminds me of. What we saw from Jordan Howard last year, you know, minus the pedigree, uh, obviously. Jordan Howard came in and wasn't even the starter at the, at the start of the season. Um, and it really came on early on and just crushed it from there on out. Not only was he the um, a second-leading rusher for rookies last year, he was the second-leading rusher in the NFL. This despite uh, an offensive line that, you know, wasn't really otherworldly. This despite he was playing on an offense that really was the opposite of otherworldly. And for whatever reason, you know, he just got it done. And and Fournette, I really can't put my finger on it either uh, outside of his talent, but he really is getting it done. And um, no thanks to his teammates, really. I mean, I don't think Alan Hearns and Marquise Lee is – I don't think they're striking fear in, into uh, opposing defenses, and the guy who does is Fournette, and he's getting it done right now. So it's certainly a guy to watch that uh, you know we'll be excited to see the rest of the season and, and see where he goes in drafts next year. Uh, Jason, let's stick with you. Uh, the, the biggest draft decision, start-sit decision, waiver argument, blind bid uh, argument that – that you and Joe have ever gotten into before when it comes to your high stakes leagues, does one stand out and, and how is it resolved? Um, <laughs> you think there'd be a ton, but, but honestly, we, we really don't disagree that often. Um, we, we, we've been co-managing teams since uh, 96 when we were both teenagers and we used our paper route money to do low salary based leagues that were run through the postal mail. So, you know, starting out together and continuing to co-manage teams every year for the last 21 years, we've we've kind of meshed into having the same line of thinking and, and outlook on players. So we, we rarely end up even drafting a guy that one of us doesn't like. And if someone has a strong opinion on a lineup decision, you know, we, we typically just defer to the other in that scenario. Um, but back to your question, if I had to name a specific example um, – you know, other than back in 96 when Joe really wanted Jerome Bettis in his first year with the Steelers and, and I wanted Lawrence Phillips in his rookie year with the Rams, you know, bringing it to FFPC, I would say in, in, I 
I would think back to the 2014 draft, and we had a strong debate about who we wanted in our fourth-round pick. You, you ready for these league winners we were debating between? Can't wait. At the 4-2 pick, we were heavily debated between Michael Floyd versus Cordero Patterson. <laughs> two, two juggernauts. So we ended up going with Patterson, but uh, you know, both of them flamed out. Yeah, it would, it would not have mattered there. Um, <laughs> it, it, you know, it's just one of those things. Well, that's I. You know, it's interesting that you know you guys always agree so much, and and certainly it makes for managing um, uh, fantasy. Uh, you know, in, in a. In, you know, in a in a way that uh, is enjoyable for each of you guys uh, every single week. But I'm I'm curious if there was one person I found out there, and, and there's actually a, a ton of people that disagree with me on on. It's probably why my teams are so terrible. But if there's a, somebody out there that disagreed with me a lot, I kind of want to think about co-managing a team with them just to have that super opposite. Uh, viewpoint and to try to think about things from a different perspective other than my own. But I feel like that that might be a short-lived, that may be a one-season thing where, you know, if you just can't agree with somebody and you're constantly taking the opposite view, uh, co-managing probably isn't in the cards for you guys. And it clearly, uh, with you two, it, it definitely is. Yeah, it works out. I mean, we again, we don't really disagree. It's, it's more managing kind of, um, you know, disagreements are more managing each other's bias on players. So, you know, it's in years past. It's Joe always telling me, no, you know, no, we're not going to draft Brandon Jacobs because he stinks. Or, you know, each year I know I'm going to hear from Joe how much he likes Russell Williams and Jimmy Graham. So things like that. Joe, you, uh, you, you and Jason have been playing fantasy for, you know, this is your third decade of playing. So you, you've clearly had over the years uh, some one and three teams, some zero oh and four teams. What's the best piece of advice that that you can give to anybody who is in that position right now, who is ready to you know give up on the season, say they don't have a shot? What's the best piece of advice you can give them to to try to you know get this team back to 500 and and eventually fighting for a playoff spot at the end of the year? Yeah, we've actually had 0 and 4 teams in the main event before, but I think the best piece of advice is to just not give up and to keep working the waiver wire. And what's nice about FFPC contests is that record isn't everything. You know, with the way the playoffs work is it's the best record and the most points then the next best record and the next highest points. So if the teams with the good records actually have a lot of points, you can still sneak into the playoffs, you know, as the fourth highest scoring team in the league. And with seven weeks and the regular season still left, you know, it's still a lot of time to accumulate points and get back into this thing. Yeah, I think that's good advice, too. I just never give up. I've seen so many teams, you know, teams in the FFPC and, you know, in the Football Guys Players Champ that have started off like, you know, 1-5 and five or 0-6, oh and, and then they, they get a, a difference-making running back off the waiver wire or their quarterback gets hot or for whatever reason there's a quarterback change and it's he decides to start peppering their tight end with all these targets. I mean, you can start putting up 150, 160, 170 scores, and if you string two or three of those together – all of a sudden, you're right back in the thick of it in your league. And all you need to do is is get into the playoffs for a shot. And then once you're in the playoffs, anything can happen. So I certainly, I think that's good advice is, is to never give up, to stick to it. And you never know what can happen. I've seen some crazy stuff uh, over the years. And, and I'm sure 2017 is, is not going to be any different. Uh, you guys have been so gracious with your time this week. I certainly appreciate it. One last question before we let you go. Um, Four weeks of, of action are in the bag. We are, you know, basically 25% into the NFL season. We are more than 25% into the 
uh, fantasy season. Uh, give us a guy that uh, that you're nervous about after what you've seen so far. A guy that you uh, are concerned with, uh, you know, putting up what we projected his numbers to be at the start of the season. And then a guy that you guys will actually be targeting uh, on the waiver wire this week. Uh, Jason, I'll I'll let you go first on this one, and then Joe, go ahead with your two guys. Um, a player that I'm nervous about, I guess I would say M- Melvin Gordon. I mean, his big season last year was really the product of you know short yardage touchdowns and and high volume since he's not like an ultra talented player, but you know, and now that he's battling his knee injury, it's limiting his usage, especially his involvement in the passing game, which has basically been non-existent the last two weeks. I would say that I'm really concerned about him moving forward. Um, as far as waiver wires this week, it's, I'll state the obvious, but I think, um, I'll be targeting, um, the Minnesota running backs. Um, besides the fact that I'm, an avid McKinnon truther uh, with cook up with cook going down. I think they both have a uh, nice roles carved out for him. Murray has good touchdown upside. Uh, McKinnon should have good involvement in the passing game, you know, just like he did last year. And I think their offense um, looks to be improved over last year. So I think they both could put up some, you know, flex worthy uh, numbers. Yeah. For my disappointing player, I think I'm going to go with the guy that we drafted in the sixth round who uh, actually managed to catch 100% of his week four targets, yet somehow that translated into one catch for negative seven yards. Oof, yeah. Mr. Jamison Crowder himself. I mean, we really, I should say I really like this guy. It's probably somebody I had a bias on, but uh, I thought, you know, his role really expanded in the offense with Ejax gone and with Garson leaving, the, or Garcon leaving the team. And so far this year, he just hasn't been involved at all. So it, it almost feels like at this point, the guy might be cuttable unfortunately. And then for a pickup, I think the other kind of the situation I'm really looking at is the uh, Seattle running backs with uh, Carson on IR. It feels like somebody, I don't, you know, be it Rawls or Lacey, one of those guys is probably going to emerge now and actually become valuable. And I know it seemed like a lot of leagues, people were cutting bait on them after the first couple of weeks when Carson kind of sees the role. So that's, that's probably another group of running backs we'll be looking at. What a world we're living in when we're talking about picking up Rawls and Lacey and potentially cutting Crowder. It's uh, it's great. Hey, listen, everything moves fast, right? And uh, and we're we're certainly living it right now. Just hard to believe with that that Crowder thing. You know, Jordan Reed hardly played any snaps on Monday night. Uh, no no uh, Garcon, no Deshaun Jackson, and Crowder for whatever reason just cannot get it going. I mean, everything's there for him. Maybe he's one of these guys that we'll talk about at the end of the season, and people are ready to give up on him. Uh, and then he ended up, uh, you know, just going on a second season or a second half of a season tear. Uh, it, these all things uh, we'll be paying attention to, all storylines that we love uh, to watch. And we will uh, definitely wish you guys the best of luck, too. Uh, as a Packers fan, I am uh, hoping for the best for Ty Montgomery's uh, ribs. And I, I wish him, uh, I wish you guys the best and getting him back in your lineup healthy as soon as possible. And good luck the rest of the way. Uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll be watching and, uh, and uh, hopefully the ball bounces your way. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having us. Thank you for listening to the High Stakes Lowdown, a Rotoviz podcast brought to you by the Fantasy Football Players Championship. And thanks to Grapes for our theme music. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the Rotoviz radio feed. It helps us find new listeners. 
Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think, and follow us on Twitter at rotovizradio. And remember, you can always support the show by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the NFL podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy Decoy by Duckhorn. Elevate your occasion. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.